Hi guys. So we're Dave and Ann. We're going to be finishing up uh, our discussion this week on finance and money and how it, how it affects our relationships. So before we get started though, let's, um, let's open with a word of prayer. That would be good. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you Lord for this time. I thank you Lord for the opportunities that we have to come and sit in your church and learn from your word, Lord, how to live our lives. And uh, your, your, your word talks about all aspects of our lives, including our finances. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would speak through Ann and I and help us to relay, Lord, the things that you want us to get across. Go before us and help uh, anybody else who's coming to arrive quickly and safely. And uh, your name we pray. Amen. All right. So the last couple of weeks, like I said, we've been talking about money. We talked about it initially kind of as a country and as, a, as, a, as individuals, kind of where we are uh, with our hundred average debt of $133,000 across the country per person. Yeah, that picture got uglier, but we won't go back there. Uh, we talked about how our finances can affect our emotional state. Last week we talked about our emotional needs and how those needs can be affected by our financial decisions and how, uh, how we react to our spouse out of those emotions. Um, and sometimes those emotions are based on how we've spent our money or not spent our money. Um, at the end of class, we passed out a flyer called Six Money Talks. I think we have a few left if anybody didn't get one. I was wondering if anybody had an opportunity to look that thing over and talk about that at all amongst themselves. There's not as many people here as there were last week. This is the flyer. Looks like this. Anybody remember that? Yeah, okay. So, Ann kind of went through the flyer a little bit, um, but it talked about the story talk, our social talk, the fear talk. My top financial fear. Did anybody have what their top financial fear would be? Go. Homelessness. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. A lot, a lot of us are a lot closer to it than we care to admit. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that was probably one of my wife's biggest fears. It was. Losing everything that we had acquired, even though it was just stuff. Um, the idea of being homeless and us being on two different pages was paralyzing for her. Us being homeless and together, not so scary. Randy? Uh, I, I had a fear, I don't have it quite as much anymore, but for years, and my wife will attest to this, that uh, uh, it was an irritating thing to her, but you know what drives a lot of people, and it drove me, is that when I get ready to retire or call it a day and want to go home and sit and watch television all day, whatever the case may be is, I don't want to have to eat dog food when I'm 70. Yeah. It just is not going to happen. And this is a thing that happens. We talk about it for years. Yeah. You know, of course, we're not going to do that, but uh, there's a lot of people. There's in a lot of people. Yeah. We have we have a, a friend or acquaintance more than that. I think she eats a can of beans a day. That's all she gets. And we've tried to help, but it doesn't really work because we're not the problem. Those are her own issues and demons, but nonetheless, Social Security doesn't pay for much. Um, in this state, Social Security pays for even less. Um, and if you're in a situation where you're having to make a house payment yeah. or a condo payment in retirement, in retirement uh, I know at the beginning I talked about my grandfather on my dad's side. I think he was 70 years old when he was finally out of debt. Paid no. Was it older than that, maybe? 84. Okay, 84, when he finally paid everything off. Now, granted, he had quite a bit. So he had a house in Tahoe, and he had a house and two condos in Moraga, and he had different oh. things that he'd acquired over the years. Yeah, well, okay. So, <laughs> but again, you're talking about a guy who made $28,000 a year. That's, That's the most he made his entire life. Wow. 
and he accumulated all that stuff, and he worked and paid it all off. And at that point, his Tahoe house and his house in Moraga were paid off. It were the rental properties that were bringing in income that weren't paid off. So, But again, it's still the idea of something goes south tomorrow, what do I do? Can they take my house? Can they... How am I going to live when I'm no longer able or willing to work for a living? Uh, how many guys? How many of us see the guys? The, the the joke of the guy, the old guy, is the greeter at Walmart. Um, you know, that's a very real situation for a lot of people. Um, you know, it's very real. And Randy, one of the things we were talking about is how this affects our relationships. How is that affecting the two of you when you had those fears? Well, it, it was monumental because uh, when it comes right down to me going out and making this not happen where it's an issue, it puts some pressure on our lives. Because, yeah. you know, she penny pinched and penny pinched and I got this, I got this, I got this. But you know what? When, the, when you really got to go to work and bring that money in and say, it's a different value than you're looking at between two people. And I, again, I don't know your situation, so I'm assuming a lot here, but her fear may be different, or, or her thoughts and patterns and behaviors may be totally different from yours. In our case, it was complete opposites. Mm -hmm. So I didn't understand. Her fear to me was irrational. It didn't make sense. We have money in the bank. We're making payments. Everything's good. But if I didn't get it, when I was doing real estate, if I didn't get a paycheck for three months, because I didn't close a deal, she was in straight panic mode at that point. Whereas me, I see all the irons I have in the fire, something's gonna pop. The Lord will take care of me. Sometimes they didn't pop though. Sometimes they didn't, <laughs> hence the reason I got out. Um, what about our dreams? What's my biggest dream? Um, you know, for some people it's retiring well. For other people, it's a vacation house in Pinecrest, or a fancy car, or, yeah, I know. Um, or, uh, or, uh, truck. Yeah. He has um, both, yeah. I mean, yeah. both dreams. Yeah, both, both. Yeah, anyways. But those dreams are different for the two, for, your, for you and your spouse. And how do you, how do you talk about that? Do you talk about that? You need to if you're not. Uh, I'm just, I kind of came in, came out, and we haven't been here the last two weeks. But I want to talk about your house for a second. Yeah. I had an interesting conversation with my brother in law. One of his friends inherited a million dollars and was panicked. <laughs> what was the panic? <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? Yeah. What do I do? Where do I go? Who do I tell? Who do I get help from? Yeah. You know, because people are going to um, bug me. Mm -hmm. You know, now I'm going to get a whole bunch of new best friends. And, you know. Well, I'm a quote-unquote millionaire. Forty years ago, that meant a lot. Today, not mm -hmm. so much. Yeah. Well, Three County's property is 117000 mm -hmm. Yeah. In, in, in California. In California. Right here. Isn't Contra Costa one of them? I don't know. No, I think Contra Costa is at a whole 96,000 is considered poverty level in California, which is kind of staggering because then that means I'm pretty close to poverty. <laughs> We're at below poverty somewhere. But, yeah, you I know. I would probably be like that if, I, if that happened to me. Because I'm so used to having to, you know, pinch pennies and it, it really paid off for me, but it's hard to change. Yeah. And I would probably still be doing that, and then I'd be worried, like the same thing, you know. I mean, you know, you're worried about what are you going to do with that money? You know, it's almost too much, you know. Yeah. You know, and, and I see my uncle who's in the eighties, and he's got so much stuff, and it's like it's beautiful. Um, and we don't we don't think of having too much money? Being a problem. Yeah. Being a problem. Um, Look at lottery winners. It's a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, so when we're talking about money, a lot of people think that having money will solve issues. No. Um, Many times it just exaggerates. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or causes other ones. 
Yes. Yeah. That too. Well, there's a, that's a perfect segue into kind of what we're talking about today. So I'm going to take it and we'll move on from this little sheet. But um, one of the things we alluded to when we talked about emotion was the idea that um, money, I think it was Larry Burkett that said many times money is nothing more than a symptom of bigger problems. It's not necessarily the problem itself, but it exposes, it it exposes things. Uh, it's also been said that money doesn't define your character, but rather it reveals it, which is kind of painful to think about. Um, Can I read that? Yeah, so we have a story here. Um, this is from, is this from Dave's book? It's yeah. from Financial Peace. Yeah, this is from Dave's book. <laughs> but uh, this is a story that a, um, I think it's a pastor, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'll let her read it. It was from a sermon by Doug Parsons. It says, A life above the ordinary tells an interesting story about character. One of the richest and most powerful men in America owned a huge company that employed thousands of people. This gentleman pointed out an up-and-coming low-level manager to his upper-level staff. This young man worked very hard and was very good at his management position. The owner noticed the young man because of his work ethic and talent and commented that same day this young man would be a regional manager long before his time. Sure enough, the young man continued to work hard and was promoted up through the ranks to the point that the next promotion was to be regional manager. When the owner became aware that that this promotion was to be made, he decided to fly down and personally give that young man the promotion over lunch. So the big day arrived and the owner flew in to take the young man to lunch. But as the young man and the owner were going through the cafeteria-style line for lunch, the owner noticed the young man very deliberately hide a one-cent pad of butter under his roll so as not to be charged for it. The lunch went fine, except no promotion was given, and when the owner returned to his offices, he had the young man fired. Not only did the young man miss a several hundred thousand dollar a year position, he even lost his job. Over a so, penny. Over a penny. You can't teach integrity. You can't teach values. Your moral, your moral compass isn't something that's defined by the money. Your moral compass isn't something that should be easily changed. It should be grounded in who you are. Fortunately for us as Christians. We're in a little bit different situation. Our our uh, character is defined uh, ultimately as our value in Christ, which is pretty huge. He gave his life for us. Not in our money, in our stuff. Yeah, it's not in my stuff. Sorry, <laughs> my car doesn't make me cool. No. <laughs> um. So, what does the Bible say about who we are? So our value in Christ. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, 13-16. We are God's workmanship. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do works which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's Ephesians 2.10. So we are worth more than gold. Isaiah 13.12. I will make people scarcer than pure gold, more, more rare than the gold of Ophir. <laughs> we are created in God's image, Genesis one twenty seven. So God created mankind in his own image. And he loves us. First John three, sixteen and seventeen. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And he gave his life so that he could so that he could give us salvation. John three sixteen and then Ephesians two eight through ten. For is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So our value and our worth is in Christ. It's not in our money and our possessions. Can you tell another story? You sure, sure. can. <laughs> well, you sounded fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, a, uh, <laughs> um, a really, really wealthy uh, boss um, took his employee out for.
for dinner and his wife. And um, <clears throat> the wife noticed that as they were walking into this very exclusive restaurant, the boss actually stopped and looked down at the ground and picked up a penny. Um, this guy's got, you know, more bucks than, you know, Mr. Warbucks or whatever the guy's name is. Anyway. Daddy Warbucks? Daddy Warbucks. There you go. <laughs> uh, why is he picking up a penny? Um, so later on over dinner, she actually got an opportunity to ask him about it. And he says, um, every time I see, um, especially corn on the ground or what, I always stop and I always pick it up. And she's like, why? What's on it? What do you see? Because our coins say in God we trust. So he always takes that second to think on who he's trusting at that moment. You know, so it's not about the penny or the quarter or the dime, but it's about who he's trusting in that moment with his money, with his time, with his whatever. Well, when we think about our character, when we think about who we are as people, when we think about what we allow to, what we allow to define and what we, what we put out there as who we are. Do we put out there that we're a child of God? Or do we put out there that we're middle income, living in a nice house, driving a nice car? What What's... You know, what's that? It was a Sprite commercial or something. Image is everything. That's the world. That's what they want us to believe, that it's all about the image you put out there. Uh, I remember making a delivery when I worked for my dad a long time ago to a house out in Blackhawk for a party. And uh, the house was incredible. I'd never seen anything so big. It was amazing. Two brand new high-end BMWs parked in the driveway. Not a stick of furniture on the inside of the house. Two blow-up air mattresses in the master bedroom. And a card table and two folding chairs sitting in the kitchen. But while I was there making deliveries for these propane heaters that I was delivering, furniture truck after furniture truck was rolling up, unloading furniture into the house. They were having a party that weekend. The house had to look like they lived the, lived the life. So they rented the furniture on Friday. It all came in. Monday morning they came in, picked it all up, and they went back to their... Lifestyle. Their popular lifestyle. All because from the outside, man, these guys were doing it right. But it was just a shell. <coughs> we don't want to be that shell, and because we're Christians, we don't have to be. But how many of us feel that stress? I mean, we live in a consumerism culture. Really? Your car is 15 years old? Don't you deserve a new one? A new truck. A new truck. <laughs> he deserves it, right? I tried that line. It didn't work so well. <laughs> I'm on your side. Yeah, I was going to say, we're, we're working for you. Okay. I'll let you know. If I find a way where it works, I'll let you know. Um, my friend used guilt when cell phones first came out. You know, um, when they first came out. I mean, they, that big box you used to strap on your shoulder. <laughs> wow. $1,000. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it's like it's well, it's, it's a safety issue. You yeah. know, any any good parent would would have one because you're driving with your kids. It's a molest way I can maintain my car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, it was it was. I tried that line with her to get talk her into getting a cell phone. She said, "Why do I need a cell phone? Everybody around me got a cell phone." <laughs> well, so, and in 2000, we did not have cell phones, and I had a major car accident. We were T-boned, or I T-boned somebody, I can't remember which. It was his fault. Uh, <laughs> he was in the intersection. But I had five children in the car with me. No cell phone. I kid you not, five people came and asked me if I needed to make a phone call. That's right. And David said, you need a cell phone. I said, why? Four, five people just came to my rescue. <laughs> Once again, ashes on the floor. <laughs> but the reality was at that time in our life, that wasn't a bill we could afford. They were still fairly expensive to buy. They still are. Forty bucks a month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're even back more up expensive there again. now. But um, you know, it's forty bucks a month or whatever it was for the service, so you could talk ten minutes to each other um, a month. 
but it was not something that we had, so we decided to go without. I was not real happy about it. I did it kicking and screaming, but it was something that we that paid off. So we kind of want to finish the rest of this on a positive note in the sense of we want to talk about things that you can do, difference, how things you can do to make a difference in your life. And we want to close this out talking about hope and legacy. Um, Dave Ramsey actually has a new book, which I did not find out about until last night. Last night, but um, and it's on legacy specifically, um, and it it really got me thinking about. We've talked a lot about legacy in this class from a, a, a emotional relational level. You know, what's the legacy that we're teaching our children's children, and from a financial perspective. We can do the same thing with that to the generations beyond. Um, so I was just thinking about this this morning in the verse Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. You guys know what that verse is? Mm-hmm. Who wants to say it? What? Oh. <laughs> Are you looking it up? Proverbs 29, or, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 29.11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to uh, not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. And if it's close, then I miss it. No, you, you, you pretty well nailed it. You pretty much are on it. Then will you call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Into exile. That's, that's our God. That's what he'll do for us. So when stuff hits the fan and we don't have answers, what do we do as people? We, we, try to, we tend to get closer to God. Now all of a sudden I need him. <laughs> and I need him to come. And I need him to show up big, right? <clears throat> Saw this interesting quote. Pain is not our preferred method of teaching. But it is a thorough teacher. Um, during a crisis is typically when we decide to turn back to Christ. During a time of crisis, we tend to have a surrender all moment. When we were kids in school, it was all right, Lord, help me pass this test. Now it's, Lord, help me make the house payment or find me a new job. If you do that, I will never leave your side. I will go to church every Sunday. Exactly. I will get involved. I will be a good dad. Or you can add anything to that. The Bible. I know. The Bible talks about money and possession over twenty-five hundred times. That's pretty crazy. 2,500 times he's talking about money and our possessions. I mean, how much thought do we actually put into what we do with it? Yeah. Fires that are going on right now. Yeah. The the common commentary that I'm reading is we're going through the house not knowing what to take through. Yeah. What do we we take? Mm -hmm. A house full of stuff. Yeah, three of the guys on Zach's fire crew, their truck was burned over on Thursday night. Things changed in the wee hours. Actually, no, we found out about it during the day, huh? So Thursday night? No, he found out about Thursday night. They had a call. Yeah, so sometime Thursday afternoon, winds changed. They were caught in a bad spot. They had to get in the truck in order to save, be safe. The fire went right over the top of them. Wow. 
they were burned. They had good. burns and different things, but they're fine. One of them went back to the fire. Two. Two. Two of them went back to the fire. One the one. Home. The one went to UC Davis. The one went to UC Davis and is now home. And that was the engine, not, not their yeah. personal They jumped in the fire engine to stay mm -hmm. safe, and the fire went right over the top of them. They got burned on their way to the truck. Yeah. So. It happened that fast. But with Gina, with what you were saying, with <clears throat> you know, they're wondering what to take. And I guess with these three firefighters, especially with Zach doing that line of work now, I wouldn't care. I would rather get rid of all my possessions and keep him safe. Right. right. So when it comes down to it, our relationships are more important than money <coughs> or money fights or our possessions or what we can or cannot acquire. Uh, those folks that are going through their house, right now that's the most devastating, but if it was like, oh my gosh, my child is still back there, well, gee, I, I'd leave all the photo albums if I could have grabbed her instead. There were a couple of stories. Did they ever find out that. what happened? The great-grandmother and the, they died. They did. They did. So did you all hear about that? There was a grand, uh, great-grandmother and, and the two children that they couldn't find. They perished in the fire. They perished in the fire. They moved so quickly. They were trapped. And that's how quickly our lives can change. Mm -hmm. And are we trying to do things that, I mean, financially, are we doing things to build for mm -hmm. relationships and things that matter? Or are we trying to acquire to impress people that we probably don't even like? What's that saying about um, trying to gather things to impress people? There's a saying about that. I'm trying, trying to, to buy things with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Yeah. How many of us get trapped in that? So for us, we had kind of a surrender all moment. This was about 15 years ago? No. 10 years ago? Yeah, it's about 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I was doing real estate, and I had gotten involved. Uh, six of my fellow real estate agents and brokers bought six four-unit rental properties up in Fort Bragg. Seemed pretty genius. We bought them for four hundred thousand a piece. They would easily rent for more than a grand a unit. No big deal. Made sense. Made sense. Numbers worked. Um, didn't make sense for long. Wood in Fort Bragg rots while you watch. I have never seen things deteriorate in that salt air the way they do up there. It's foggy all the time. It never dries out. Very interesting climate. All things I didn't know. Fast forward two or three years, um, the way it worked was we were all in one LLC, but we, we all held title to one building. There were six buildings. We each had our own loan on our own building, and they were all managed together. Three of the other agents had their properties foreclosed on because there was no longer any money to make the payments when the tenants weren't. The on-site manager was stealing money. We weren't there. We we're two and a half, three hours away on a good day. Fort Bragg is not an easy place to get to from here. There's one hardware store in town, so they charge whatever they want. Um, Home Depot's an hour and a half away. Um, the LLC was kind of falling apart. It was kind of every man for himself. Um, at the same time as that was falling apart, we have a rental property here in Concord. Um, and the two septic tanks on it had failed, and uh, we were having to connect that to city sewer at the same time. Um, we were and paying over, for the run, a 200-foot run to pay, down our street. We were on a private drive, so we had to pay to run the sewer line from our house to the street, which was over 300 feet. City had said they we they gave us the option: you can rebuild your septic tanks at 60,000 a pop. And we because all sure. those codes have changed. Yeah, and we weren't sure the leach fields would be any good anymore because they they were had been used for 60 years or whatever. Um, tanks were actually redwood. Um, they'd been leaking for years. In fact, the redwood started out at an inch and a half. It was now thinner than my finger from rot from the outside in. Um, it's like a ship. It stays wet. It seals up. But the dirt on the outside was also getting moisture. And so it was rotting it from the outside in. Um, fortunately, the other two neighbors at the end of the street, they all wanted to tie in at the same time. So we were able to share that cost. Long and short of it, that turned out to be about a $60,000 bill. To us. Just our portion. 
Praise God, we had the money to do that. But we didn't have the money to do that and to float Fort Bragg and another property that we had. No, I forgot about that. Um, so the decision became time. It's like, well, we can either let them go into foreclosure or we can try and be proactive about this. I was in the business. I knew short sales were a joke. Uh, they weren't going anywhere. Nobody was doing anything with them. So, but we pursued it. We had another another gentleman up there who was interested in buying it for $200,000. Half of what I paid for it. Um, but it was at that point when things got to that point where we're like, we've got this that's going to sink us, and we have this that's going to sink us. And I forgot about the third property. Yeah. Went, um, okay, Lord, what do you want to do? Yeah, we didn't have any answers. And I don't know that we said we created the mess. We just said it's yours, Lord. <laughs> yeah, I think you kind of dumped it in his lap more we than anything. We created the mess, but I remember saying, yeah. 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 I don't know how I got here. Yeah. You know I love you. Yeah. You're crazy. We tried all that. Yeah. At the same time, he showed up. He did. I remember... At the time that the Fort Bragg was going on and we realized our septic tanks were beyond repair, when we bought the property, they had said, oh, you can, re 10 years, or 15 years earlier, they said, oh, well, when the septic tanks fail, you can just replace them. We're like, oh, they're like $15,000. That's not a big deal. So it didn't deter us. Um, and they said, yeah, they looked at running the sewer down and it was going to be $200,000 to run the sewer down. So nobody wanted to do it. And I remember sitting at my desk. Yeah, they thought they work. needed a pump. They thought we were below grade. Below, yeah. because of the length of the run, they thought we were below <laughs> grade of the sewer line in the street. So we were going to have to pump from our houses to the street. Ended up not having to do that. But, but uh, so I had gone down to the city, and that's when I found out that septic tanks now cost like sixty thousand, not fifteen, because now you need two systems, plus you need the runs, plus you need the percolators and. Yeah. So we were looking at $120,000 to replace the septic, two septic systems. So they said, you know, we got this guy that does sewer lines. I was like, yeah, I know. It's going to be $200,000. So I called him up. He goes and looks at it. He comes back. He goes, you know what? It's going to be really pricey. Thought, you know, Lord, it's yours. I'm just, whatever he says, I'm just going to trust that it's going to be okay. He goes, you know, it's going to be really pricey. I said, I, said, I understand. What are you talking about? He goes, well, this isn't including hooking it up to each house. He goes, but it's going to cost you about $38,000. I was like, Where do when I can start? you start? <laughs> didn't need the pumps, didn't need any of that. We went and talked to the neighbors. They're like, yeah, so each of us paid part of that. But then you also had to pay for the hookup. And it was, and it ended parts. up being a little bit more than 38 because there was some engineering involved. Yeah. And and the slope ended but up his being part was 38, not a lot 200. less than necessary. Mm -hmm. yes. And immediately I said, thank you, Lord, you know. Mm -hmm. He showed up. Yeah. When we turn and cry to him, he, he shows up. He's always there, but, you know, he really showed up for us on that one. And So then in the negotiation of the short sale. All at the um, same time. <laughs> all at the same time. The, um, the bank came back and said, hey, we didn't get any of your financial statements. We need to see your financial statements. No, before that. We stopped making the payment because you had to be behind three yeah, months. Yeah, that was the premise. Right? It had to be at you least three, be behind months, three behind. months in order to get a short sale to even be considered. So the 15th came and the bank called and they said, hey, you didn't make your payment. And I said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. We're trying to do a short sale and my understanding is, and she goes, nope, that's not the case. And I said, are you just trying to get more money out of me? And she goes, no, I promise you it will still be considered. And so we made the payment. Yeah. We were never once. We never once. We missed never a missed a payment on that place. On that, in the middle. And so of the when it came time to negotiate the final deal, I got an email that said if we didn't submit our financial information tomorrow, uh, they were going to cancel the sale. Well, we'd submitted it three months ago when we submitted the whole package, but in all ninety pages or whatever it was, it got lost. So I resent all that information, and um, I don't remember exactly what the numbers were. They were pretty ugly because everything we had was underwater. Um, we were just bleeding cash, which we didn't have a lot of, but fortunately we had some. Um, and the negotiator says, wow. And he says, so what are, What can you tell me about this property? And I, and I told him about the other two buildings. He said, well, the other two were for, the other three have already been foreclosed on. And I gave him the addresses. I gave him the address of mine, which is in short sale. I gave him the address of the two other people. 
uh, who were at the same point. I said, they're either going to let it go or they're going to call you to short sale. So you can either foreclose on all six or you can sell mine and hopefully sell the others when that time comes. There is a gent, we have a, we have a legitimate buyer who lives in the neighborhood, blah, blah, blah. Two days later, it was approved. Done. Sealed. Totally gone. Totally gone. All gone. The ironic thing was because we never missed a payment, our credit didn't take much of a hit. Which was weird. You, everyone says short sale, you're going to lose 300 points off your credit score, right? Just like that. But that 300 points is because you didn't make payments for a year and a half, not because you had to do a short sale. So the Lord provided. If we didn't have that septic sewer system going on at that time, we would have shown a cash account with a whole bunch of cash. And the bank would have been going, fork it over. You owe us that. But we didn't have that because we just got done paying for this problem. Thank God. Never been so happy to be so broke. <laughs> <laughs> that they do. Exactly. So, so. What did you say? We still had the place in Concord. And we still had the place in Concord. Yeah. And thank God I don't have to get in septic tanks anymore. <laughs> you haven't lived until you've crawled into a septic tank to clean one out. Or Especially to repair the, redwood boards. When the tenant flushes the toilet while you're in the septic tank. Oh, that's always fun, too. <laughs> this took an interesting turn, sweetheart. Yeah. yeah. That's living right there. So Dave lists five things in his new book on how to prosper, how to build legacy. So we're going to go through those five things kind of quick. So one, have a budget. Anymore, that doesn't seem like a very pretty word. Spending plan. Spending plan. That's another good word for it. But Dave's budget's different than every budget I ever saw. So he talks about a zero-based budget. Are there many of us in here that actually, before the month starts, writes down every dollar that you're going to spend and where it's going to go? I saw a hand raised, but we'll get to her at the end of the lesson. <laughs> You know, Dave talks about, he has a, an app called Every Budget App. Every Dollar App. Every Dollar App, sorry. And it goes through and you put in your what you bring home and you tell every dollar where to go. Savings, retirement, giving, everything. And you take it down to zero. So you tell every dollar where it's going to go. That was the interesting part of this budget. I always looked at a budget and I wanted to see how much was left at the end of every month. That's the way I had been taught. I want to see money left at the end of the month. Dave's budget, no, that needs to be a zero. Because that means you've sent money to savings. That means you've sent money to your cash, your uh, emergency fund. That means you've sent money. That means every dollar has been assigned a purpose. And at the end of every month, it's all been, it's all been accounted for and all been assigned. That was totally new to me. I'd never thought of doing it that way. I always trained... I want to see a big num big number at the end. That means I spent less than I earned. No, you want to see zero so that every money, so that you're being purposeful with your money. And it's important that you agree with your spouse on what you're doing with your budget. Uh, this was we interesting. didn't agree much on that. I just let you do it because I wasn't willing to take it over. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> we talked about that the first day, That's first class. True. He's more involved now than he was before. But uh, Luke fourteen twenty eight. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. That goes with our income. Are we spending more than we make? Uh, Zig Ziglar says, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. So are we, li are we living intentionally and on purpose? Got to have a plan. So the second thing in his list is get out of debt, stay out of debt. That's all debt. Except for the mortgage. Yeah, maybe. Um, credit card debt, car loans, student loans, all that stuff. Dave would, Dave would tell you to get out of your mortgage debt, too. Mm -hmm. But when you don't have all the other debt, that's not an unrealistic accomplishment. Because now you have money left over at the end of the month to 
to make that happen. Doesn't Dave say he's got a lousy credit score? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, he has like a zero. It's like zero. He's called a deadbeat uh, credit. Uh, credit Bureau calls anybody who pays debt off, especially uh, every month, they call them deadbeats. Do they, they really? Don't mm -hmm. they, they don't do. make any money off. They yeah. A deadbeat. They call them a deadbeat, you know, inside the credit circles. Well, when you think yeah. about it, what is your credit score? What does your credit score represent? How well do you manage your debt? It's your relationship with your debt. Mm -hmm. So if you have a high score, you have a good relationship with your debt. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you think about it, that's kind of scary. It is. You know, people are bragging, I have an 800 credit score. Wow. How much debt do you have to manage to have a perfect credit score? Because technically, perfect is 850. Oh, yeah. But technically, if you are debt free, your credit score is going to drop like a rock. Because you're not using it. You're not using it, and you don't have the willingness to use it. And they're going to drop it. They're going to drop it like a rock. Because they don't get to collect interest. Well, I thought it was interesting, too, because people, you have to have a good credit score in order to buy a house. No. That's a myth. There are actual lenders out there that will do manual underwriting based on how you handle your money, not on how you handle debt. Yeah, There's different paperwork involved. Not necessarily. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, the trick has, is, you, it's a it's a different application. It's a completely different submission process because they're looking. They want to see your bank statements. They want to see your budgets. They want to see how you spend your money, where it goes, what do you do, and you don't have a credit score to prove that, so you have to prove it other ways, mm -hmm. which should take more a little more work. Um, and this is based on Proverbs 22.7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. How many of us feel like a slave when we have all those payments going out? It's stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, it locks you in it does. as well. Because there are opportunities that sometimes we can't take advantage of, mm -hmm. that we would love to take advantage of, but we're locked in. Mm -hmm. Because we are indebted to others. Mm -hmm. There's other opportunities that you're missing. It's not a problem to have stuff. The problem is your stuff is your stuff having you. And I thought this was an interesting thing. Nowhere in Scripture did God use debt to bless people. I don't know. That was like a whole new concept. Uh oh. Is there? Okay. The lady doesn't want to eat. She has to go and borrow jokes. But that's all she did was borrow jokes. Elisha. So I might have to call Dave and tell him to draw. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, just that one. But there's probably more to that than just the 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 what I'm looking for, just the scanning it over and looking at it. I'm thinking, I'm saying debt in the sense of she borrowed drugs, but uh -huh. then she returned them. Like right yeah, I, I'm thinking on a financial basis. No. Nowhere no. in scripture did he say, no. go borrow $100,000 from no. Visa and donate it to XYZ charity or to your church. No, well, most of the money lenders were actually criticized. Yeah. Yeah, they're frowned upon. Yeah, this is one that I really hadn't thought about. Build quality relationships. Uh, your dysfunction in your family can cost you money, from children to in-laws to outlaws. Outlaws. First <clears throat> um, Corinthians fifteen thirty-three says, "Do not be misled. Bad company corru corrupts good character." And it affects our bottom line as well. So uh, this was interesting with quality relationships. Your income will be within 10 to 15% of your 10 closest friends over time. Your income will be within 10 to 15% of your 10 closest friends over time. Because they influence you. They change your thought process. That's very true. Because instead of not eating out, 
That couple in Blackhawk was surrounded by a ton of people who had a ton of money, and they wanted to be like them. So they mortgaged everything, including stuff they didn't have, to live that lifestyle on the outside. Yeah. Well, I think it also talks to people when you go to that if you hang around with people that have no desire to better themselves, no plan, no vision, right? Then mm -hmm. you will, you will, you will be in that company. If you, if you are surrounded by people that have vision and goals mm -hmm. and dreams, and I'm not talking about I just want to get stuff. Right. right? Oh, but, but to do better for a community, to leave a legacy for their kids, if you hang around those people, then it raises your level of expectations. Positive peer pressure. Exactly. And it changes your character. And it changes your character. And your mm -hmm. values. So, not just, yeah, like you said, not just a money not thing. It's a relationship. Yeah. It's your giving to the community. It's everything. So, who you hang around really does make a difference. Uh, the next one is save and invest money. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food and, and oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Proverbs 13.22, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Wise people save money. It is not an act of faith to spend everything. Oh, the Lord will provide, so I'll yeah. spend more than I have. What was that at the beginning we talked about? The... <clears throat> Average American spends a dollar twenty-two for every dollar that comes through their house. Yes. Um, I wanted to get some feedback on um, intentional godly giving when it's not something that you can write off. It's not something that goes on the books. And on, 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 on my perspective, that's using God's money as it was God brings up to me. I'm not sure I totally understand what you were say that again godly giving, giving godly giving is giving where it's not a write-off you're not getting a write-off mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's just it's God's just money where going where God right. shows the need mm -hmm. well, and I don't believe that our giving should be based on a tax write-off mm -hmm. right I mean if I know for me I used to really have I used to give money to the people that stood on the corners. And then I stopped one day because I was sitting at a Burger King with my kids, and there were two of them that I had just seen walking around downtown Concord counting stacks of cash. And I was like, wow, I feel like I'm getting taken. And then, the, and then something happened, and somebody said, you know, if the Lord's telling you to give, it doesn't matter. Because you're doing what God told yeah, you to do. It's their responsibility. It, yeah, that part's their responsibility. If they're using it, misusing it or whatever, that's their part. But if God's saying, hey, you have $5, I want you to give it to him, whether it's a tax write-off or not. Because in the end, your finances, who, are they really your finances? No. God's. Yeah. And Dave talks a lot about being giving. Um, we're going to go into it a little bit in the next yeah. section, but... Giving isn't just a financial thing. Giving can be going over and weeding somebody's house. Giving can be coming over and cleaning out some broken grout. Gene. Uh, <laughs> uh, giving can be anything. The difference is when you when you're not when you don't have any debt and you're not slaves to that, now you're free to go do all kinds of stuff. Some of it, yeah, may involve giving money, but you can go now. The job is less important because it's all paid for. So if I'm going to get a paycheck next week, no big deal. I got money in the bank, and I, and I owe nobody anything. So I'm going to take two weeks off unpaid so I can go on that mission trip. Or I'm going to, I'm going to take time off to go do this. I'm going to leave early at my own sacrifice or my own detriment financially to go help somebody. Who needs it? But you can't do that when you owe every cent to, um, to somebody else. So before we get into giving, anyways. Well, we can go out anyways for time, and we and she yeah. said yes. Okay. So, uh, like you were just saying, the being a giver. Um, 
when you give, you become a generous person. And like David was saying, it's not just with money. Because your actions can transform your life. So if you're not stressed about debt and everything else, if you're actually being intentional with what God has given you financially, it allows you to do more for his kingdom. Just an example. Uh, J.C. Penney, the guy who started Penney's. Um, if I have the story correctly, he he decided he was going to live on 50% of his income and give the rest of it away. And he still had too much money. By the time he died, he was living on 10% of his wealth. And he gave the rest of it away. Every time he would give more, the Lord would bless his business. Every time he would, you cannot outgive God. Now, I'm not sure I'm ready to give away 90% or even 50% of my income yet. <laughs> but I would love to be in that situation where I had that much kind of faith and that much trust to be able to do some of those things. And I thought this was pretty big, too. When you're being a giver, it helps us to be more content. Philippians 4.11, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. First lesson, first First Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So again, it, we're not talking about just finances. It's about how it affects your relationships, not just with each other, with your spouse, but also with God. And if you're able to do more for the church or for those around you, you know. You want to yeah. Yeah. So, Gina, do you mind sharing your story? Do you want to come up here? Tina <laughs> shared a little bit of this with us last week. And so we thought, we, it, was pretty cool. we thought it was pretty amazing. And so we asked her if she would come up and give a testimony as to what the Lord has done and the things that they've been able to accomplish. First of all, um, we are more than overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen. So um, when God tells you to share something, you haven't learned a lesson just for you. It's some for somebody else to help somebody else along the way. So I'm really emotional, so please forgive me. I always get nervous when I get up here. I'm going to talk as fast as I can, get as much across to you as, as um, I can possibly share of how good God's love is and his grace. In, in 2009, um, my husband and I both found ourselves unemployed within a few months of each other. Um, we lost the first house we had ever had owned in um, 15 years of apartments. This was our first house. They said they were going to foreclose. So we got one of those wonderful notes on the door, you know, you need to be out by such and such time. And so we started looking and didn't know what we were going to do. Kept trying to bank our payments for our mortgage and pretty soon they gave us these letters. We can't accept partial payments, you know, the yeah. line. And so we were scared. We didn't know all the rules and everything behind it. And we tried to find a place to live. In that same year, um, I, I ended up being out of work for six months. My husband was out seven months. His company went bankrupt. And I was let go for downsizing from a Christian school. And I only had one quarter left. I was teaching. I only had one quarter left for the year. But God said, that was close that door. Same. That was the same year our daughter graduated, and um, I ended up having two emergency surgeries um, in that six-month period, two weeks apart. And I didn't know what I was going to do. You can't look for work when you're on recovery time and all of that. Losing our house, and and um, after. We just we did our best and we ended up getting into another apartment. I got it uh, as soon as I was released from the doctor. I got another job. Um, didn't pay near as much. And my husband was like, "When are you going to get a real job?" That that was his thing that he always said to me, which was very hurtful. But we did what we could. And um, after a couple years, they started talking about financial peace. Yes, I'm giving a plug for that. Um, and we kept listening and we're thinking maybe we should do this. And well, he didn't want, he didn't, never wants to do anything with me, but I went through it by myself and um, he did do the homework with me. And so we did make our budget. We did do all of that. And that was how the ball started rolling to 
to our financial um, getting out of our, our mess that we were in. We were in debt over $45,000. Some of it was our fault and some we had to use. A couple years after um, my daughter graduated, she was diagnosed with autoimmune disorder through, um, which we found out through a holistic doctor. So we had several thousand out-of-pocket expense that Kaiser wouldn't cover. And it was like, um, well, God, you don't say what else. You don't say what else to God. But we had to make a decision right there in that doctor's office. What are we going to do? Because they did all these, these treatments on her. her. Her numbers were off the charts. Her organs were starting to shut down. And so my husband took a loan on his 401k, which he paid back to himself through his paycheck. So anyway, with the financial piece, I just felt like I need to do something. I cut up three cards in front of the class is what they have you do. And that was the start. And we started doing the snowball thing and doing the best we could. But then when this medical expense came up, it was like we felt like we needed more help. So now I'm giving a plug for Trinity Debt Management Program. <laughs> we found out through someone else, actually my daughter's um, fiance went through it and told us about it. He said, you should check it out. I heard it on the radio. We called them, and Dave Ramsey says you shouldn't, you, you got yourself in debt, and you shouldn't, you know, have someone take your debt away. You should be responsible for it. So I always felt strong about that. And so, anyway, um, we, um, I'm going to lose my train of thought here. Okay, so we started with um, the Trinity Debt Management Program, and they, they cut, they call the creditors, they put into one payment. They don't cut your debt, but the creditors cut your your um, interest rate. Our our line of credit, which was the largest amount, was cut down to two percent, which was a godsend. And then our other two cards were cut in half from fourteen to seven percent. We paid a nine hundred and eleven dollar payment a month. It was very very difficult, but I want to say. Um, this year, the end of February, I lost my job after eight years at B of A. No warning, no nothing. Well, it was the end of February, February 27th, and we were going to pay our last payment. This is just God. We were going to pay our last payment to Trinity <coughs> Debt Management Program after 54 months on April. God provided. To the very end. So we got rid of that big debt. Um, we did keep one card for emergency sake. Both of us have 20-year-old vehicles. And any time, as you know, <laughs> the, the repair cost is probably $1,000 each time. But we still didn't feel like we could start another payment for a new vehicle. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And I just want to say we paid our tithes. Every time. God is faithful if you're faithful to him. And even though I'm unemployed right now, I know there's a reason. I don't know why God keeps shutting the doors, but there's a reason. Our daughter's getting married September 8th. Thank you, God. <laughs> and so um, maybe this time is for me to be with her and have that because they will be moving out of state. And... Um, I know they've learned a lot of bad things from us as far as passing down legacy. But what I want to say is God is good. We haven't missed one payment of any of our bills. We don't have money in the bank, but God has provided. Amen. And if you put him first in all that you do, he will always be there for you. You're faithful Amen. to him. He'll be faithful to you. So in a nutshell, that, that's our story. And I praise God. Amen. Thank you, Gina. I've heard it said testimonies are great, but they're a pain to get. Yeah. <laughs> we can all, I'm sure we can all attest to that. Um, yeah, so it's time to go. We should.
we're late already, but um, <laughs> thank you for the opportunity to share. And uh, I just hope that you guys will use the resources that are out there for to maintain your hope and to build that legacy because that's what it's all about. Ready? Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for the things that were shared and for the discussions that have been had. I pray, Lord, for this, that you would help each of us to take the things we've learned and apply them to our lives so that we can make a difference for you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that we are yours, that you define who we are, that no greater sacrifice could have been made for us than your dying on the cross. That's how important we are to you. And the things we may have to make choices on in this life may be hard, uh, and nothing worth doing is easy, but you gave your life that we might live. So I thank you, Lord, for this time. Go before us this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Really quick, uh, Andy and Paul will be teaching next week. So make sure you.